Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 338. And today we're going to be talking about Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. You can play along with our upcoming podcasts, which will include games like Far Cry 2, exactly like Far Cry 2, and exactly like Call of Cthulhu, Dark Corners of the Earth. Uh, as we said, we issued a little warning on a previous show just to watch out for which version of that you play, because they are uh, there are versions of this which are not easy to complete on the PC. But you should be alright with the good old games version. You should be alright with the original Xbox version. Resident Evil 5 comes next as we continue that series, winding our way towards the end of the numbered Resident Evil games. Then it's Final Fantasy VI, continuing that series. And after that, it's a much-requested show of a more recent game, Horizon Zero Dawn. Head over to canandrince.com. You can find the full schedule there, both future and all our past shows. If you have a a question, we get queries quite a lot saying, have you covered such and such a game? It's all there at canandrince.com. You can even get the show a week earlier and unabridged than non-subscribers by supporting us to the tune of a dollar, a US dollar a month, which will equate to 77 pence if you're in the UK. Patreon.com slash if you want to support our endeavours. It really is appreciated and helps us uh, do what we do. We also have a PayPal button where you can support us if you don't want to subscribe, but there are plenty of reasons to subscribe now. Uh, we also have our video games, music, podcast, sound of play, Every Wednesday, we play at least nine pieces of video game music from throughout the history of the medium, and it's a great time. We have guests and uh, contributors and all sorts. Please subscribe, review, and rate both of our podcasts from wherever you get them. Uh, Apple Podcasts is still probably our uh, biggest measure of success, but there are a lot of other ways and places to get podcasts. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 338 are John Salmon. Hello. Not talking about Final Fantasy for once. I know. Leah Haydu. I'm still going to talk about Final Fantasy. I hope that's okay. <laughs> See if you can crowbar some in. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's probably possible. And Tony Atkins. Hello. Welcome back, every one of you. Uh, so, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. It's a fairly recent game, but it's a game that can definitely be spoiled. This is your spoiler warning. We will not hold back. We should also issue on this particular show a content warning, I think, because the game does. uh, And there are some personal bits of feedback. We may have some of our own personal experiences to share, although I don't think any of us actually is a sufferer of psychosis. uh, But mental health is a topic. Uh, The warning screen in the game says this game contains representations of psychosis. People with experience of psychosis as well as professionals in psychiatry have assisted in these depictions. Some may find these depictions depictions disturbing, including those who themselves may have had similar experiences. If you would like to find out more about psychosis and mental health difficulties, visit hellbladehelp.info. The game also includes violent scenes that some may find distressing. Uh, Hellblade was announced for the PlayStation 4 at Sony's Gamescom media briefing on August the 12th, 2014. Uh, We're not going to go deep into the development of the game for the simple reason that there are myriad assets out there, recent pieces, interviews, and not least of which 30 uh, developer diaries which were crafted by the team at Ninja Theory along with the creation of the game. They can tell you infinitely better how they made the game than we could possibly ever hope to by cribbing together bits from Wikipedia. So uh, we're going to focus on our and our contributors' experiences of the game. Uh, So yes, developed 
and published by Cambridge-based studio Ninja Theory. We've covered some of their games before, uh, Heavenly Sword and Enslaved uh, Odyssey to the West. Is that the right mm-hmm. name? Uh, we covered that way back in the very early days of Kane and Rince. Uh, we also covered DMC Devil May Cry sometime later. Uh, as I say, the director and the sort of creative lead at the studio, one of the founders is Tamim Antionades. Uh, the uh, The credits are many and long. Uh, the writers are Tamim Antionades, along with some support from Professor Elizabeth Ashman Rowe, who was uh, an advisor on certain elements. Uh, the mental health side, they were supported throughout the development uh, by experts and sufferers, and uh, we'll talk about that in that section. The game was initially released for PS4 and PC in August 2017, three years after it was announced. And to celebrate World Mental Health Day on October 2017, uh, Ninja Theory donated all profit from the sales of Hellblade on that day to Rethink Mental Illness, which I thought was excellent. Uh, The game then came out much more recently. I say much more recently. Uh, It was only April this year on to Xbox One 2018. And that pretty much coincided with the announcement that... Ninja Theory, after one game, as a completely independent developer-publisher, were going to become a subsidiary of Microsoft, (laughs) which Mm. took a few people by surprise. Uh, I mean, there's a whole discussion that we could have about that and speculate on what it might mean for the future, but I'm not sure it's the remit is right. Maybe it will become relevant as in in some of the conversations we have about the content of the game, but we'll see. Uh, The game, I, I find this very interesting. The initial reviews for the game on the PS4 and PC platforms were largely excellent and the average review score, uh, as meaningful as that ever is, is, was 82%. Pretty excellent. 48 reviews. The VR edition came out. uh, That got a couple of reviews uh, only and they reviewed even higher at 90%. What I find really interesting is by the time the game arrived on Xbox One, although it hasn't been reviewed by as many outlets and as such the average may not have distilled down in the same way, but it actually reviewed much, much better at 94%. It's almost like the game had sort of percolated in people's minds or something, I don't know, or, or just the... Ninja Theory did do the, the thing where they didn't send out review copies and ahead of release day. They sent, you know, you basically, it came out on release day. You could get a code from them, but it would be a release day only. So, I mean, there's plenty of theories going around that, you know, people played, you know, sat down one session, played through the game and didn't kind of mm. digest it because they were needing to get the reviews out, you know, day and date for the release right, of the day. Yeah. I mean, that, once yeah. again, conspiracy, whatever. But, you know, that is the thing. No, and, I, and I think, you know, that actually does play... Credible. A bit into the part of the Xbox reviews because I think a lot of people had you know digested the game. A lot of people would have played the game, even the reviewers that probably played it and reviewed totally, it for the yeah, Xbox absolutely. version. Probably you yeah. know it's a kind of game that you know does percolate in your head over a period of time, and you you, know, yeah. you do deconstruct it and you know want to read more. So I, yeah, I just think maybe different time and place and you know, understanding of what maybe they were aiming for. You're Brilliant. also right in thinking that by the time the Xbox One release um, occurred, the, it had already swept up at the BAFTAs. Yeah. So possibly, you know, just general reviewer mindset was sort of higher, knowing that it's also done very well mm. critically and commercially. Yeah, I think I think all that could be relevant, which is yeah, this is why uh, why we always go so big and and emphasise context. Um, yeah, it's curious, and certainly I was pleased to complete the game a couple of days ahead of this recording. So because uh, obviously we've had with some games some of the longer games, and obviously life gets in the way and stuff. We've come flying into these recordings uh, recently with Final Fantasy 
five where uh, both John, <laughs> See your pants. John and Josh had finished it an hour before and I hadn't got there. And so we hadn't had any time to uh, to percolate really. Mm. But um, but with this game, yeah, it's a shorter game, obviously. And, and we've uh, well, I've I've had some time anyway. Um, sales wise, obviously, digital only game, always hard to be sure. But uh, Ninja Theory said that by June 2018, the game had sold over a million copies across all three platforms. Uh, that was uh, stated on Wikipedia. Uh, and I believe it sold more than their hopes and expectations in the end. So uh, not too shabby. As John mentioned, the game was nominated for an awe, enormous amount of awards. It has its own entry on Wikipedia. Uh, I, po- I won't list them all. Um, one, I would say, about almost a half of the awards it was nominated for, maybe between a third and a half. Um, a lot of awards at Develop and the BAFTAs, uh, particularly um, one at the Dice Awards and several at the Game Awards 2017. User scores-wise, just got a couple, nine out of ten according to IMDB punters, which is always an interesting one because obviously it's primarily a movie site, but games are on there. And uh, 3.8 out of 5 over on Moby Games, which maybe reflects that. uh, It's sort of interesting, again, in that you've got, in cinematic terms, maybe you've got a 9 out of 10 game and maybe in people's minds, in gameplay terms on a game a video games oriented site you've got a four out of five game <laughs> so ben blaster from the forum says playing hellblade truly was an experience like no other never have i played a game that could so aptly work its way into your brain and take hold and this was no doubt thanks to the fantastic audio design Hellblade is as much an audio experience as it is a visual one. From the very beginning, the game fills your ears with hushed whispers that pose just as much of a challenge as any of the enemies faced in the game. As a storytelling vessel, a method tackling some sensitive subjects and opening the eyes of a wider audience to the mental conditions many people suffer with, the game does a superb job. However, the game is sadly let down by the game side of it. The combat itself becomes boring very quickly. I often found myself thinking Hellblade may be a better game served in the style of a Gone Home or Firewatch style, quotes, walking simulator. Despite this, I enjoyed my time, if enjoy is the right phrase, Hellblade, and I hope this is the start for more games to follow in its wake. Uh, I took that one as a sort of representative sample. Um, We're going to be hearing from uh, plenty more contributors throughout the show. But first, let's hear when we played the game and how. Start with Tony. Yeah, I was a big fan of Ninja Fury as a developer. Um, You know, really liked what they did with Heavenly Sword and thought Noriko was a really interesting, strong female lead, certainly for the time the game was coming out. Um, I'm a huge fan of Enslaved and really am. Played that game probably seven eight times in uh since its release and wow. um you know trip and monkey are two of my favorite uh characters in any kind of video game so mm. you know once again performance capture which we'll talk a little bit later on i'm sure about this game as well so you know in, invested in that style of development the style that they had and you know uh so yeah hellblade was naturally one i was super excited for um but also incredibly cautious around it seemed to be a lot of talk in the industry about whether they could pull off what they were trying to pull off yeah but i i had faith um but yeah uh, picked it up on the playstation 4 you know didn't obviously didn't know if it was going to come out on the xbox or you know it did come out of the pc no. but obviously you know played it on the ps4 i didn't play it over a single sitting or even a couple of sittings mm. for me it was over you know a, you know, a seven eight day period I, I, mm. I found it quite draining and, and wanted to kind of take my time of it so Same. for me yeah. yes over a little extended period but that's where I played it on the PS4 and yeah shortly after release Excellent Leah how about you? 
Um, I actually did pick up right at release. Uh, it was either on launch day or shortly thereafter. I know that it was before the um, the day that they had shortly thereafter that we mentioned before about uh, donating their profits mm-hmm. um, for uh, on World Mental Health Day, I believe it was. Um, that <laughs> I know that it was before that because I saw that they were doing that and thought, well, I wish I hadn't already bought it because I kind of would have liked for that to go uh, that way. But I well, um, they wouldn't have been able to afford to do that if everyone had done that. If you see what that's I mean, that's true. So, yes, of course. I mean, so I, I, I definitely it. do not begrudge them um, what I paid for it. <laughs> sure. Um, but yes, I I um, picked it up launch day or shortly thereafter uh, and played it pretty close to launch, um, and then I played it. Uh, I I didn't do another complete playthrough. Uh, at least not yet. I'm actually. Uh, intending to finish it again but Mm. um, we'll we'll talk about the sound design I'm sure at length but uh, the first time that I played it through I played it uh, just on my regular setup you know with with my uh, uh, tv speakers Mm. Uh, I I have a decent sound setup with a sound bar and everything but um, this time I wanted to see kind of what the difference was uh, playing it with headphones. I do have a very mm. nice set of PS4 headphones. Mm. So I decided that I wanted to play it through again. Um, you know, just to, my, my initial thought was I'm just going to get into it a little bit and see kind of what, it, and now I'm, I'm all the way back in again. So <laughs> right, uh, yeah. I, I definitely will be finishing that. But um, yeah, so I've, I've played it about one and a half times now uh, and close to lunch. Yeah. John, when did you get and play Hellblade? I bought it, I'm not exactly sure when, it wasn't on launch, but it was very close to uh, the PS4 release's launch, uh, because I'd seen lots of things about it leading up, and although I've not had a huge amount of history with the previous Ninja Theory games, I've messed about with Enslaved, and I don't think I've played the other ones at all, Mm. Um, but I, I saw everything that was coming out about it, and obviously it looks very interesting, and here's something that's challenging lots of kind of tropes uh, that we don't normally see taking place in video games very well certainly not you know done respectfully and properly it's normally more sort of oh this guy's uh, this guy's crazy he's killing people left right and center they re- very rarely take any sort of mental health thing seriously um so i i was quite interested and i was very happy to to pony up and give ninja theory as much uh, as much money as they wanted for it um and then i just I stuck it onto my um, my sort of to-do <laughs> list pile of here's all the games that I want to fast track actually playing, um, which <laughs> kind of fluctuates generally between about 30 and 50 games up and down as uh, yeah. as more things come out. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it took me until earlier this week to get onto it. So I've probably owned it for at least a year, if not a bit more. And I finally decided, right, I actually have to do this because I was, um, I suddenly realized looking at the schedule that this, uh, <laughs> this podcast was happening and yeah. I tend to download and listen to the new episodes of the podcast on the day or a few days after they come out. And this was definitely one that I didn't want to stick on the back burner. So I thought oh, I'd better get on and play the game. Um, and then just chatting a little bit, a couple of people were dropping in and out of the show and there was someone suggested that I take over from them I was like yeah I'm going to play it this week I might as well all right uh, yes I bought the game we should mention actually that it was released as a mid-price game it was 24 pounds 99 or 29 dollars 99 or 29 euro 99 um, 
so that was uh, I think a lot of people uh, yeah it was the idea of this double A or something game where it's a, a major studio making a shorter downloadable only experience but with uh, you know high production values and yeah released at a mid price which I think yeah made it appealing um, obviously we're used to now seeing sort of new AAA games arriving on digital stores and indeed in shops at 50, 50 pounds now and often multiple editions that go up to yeah, 60, 70, 80, 90, uh, something like that. So in itself, it was quite appealing, um, but I didn't have a window to play at the time. However, when uh, they announced that uh, for World Mental Health Day, uh, they were doing the all profits from that day going to uh, rethink mental illness. That was my excuse to buy it, you know, without waiting for a sale kind of thing. I thought, you know, that's a, it's a good gesture that deserves to be supported. So I bought it then, um, but didn't play it until uh, started about a week or so ago. Um, and I also, uh, like Tony, I played it in, I think the early sections were a bit shorter. I think I played sort of an hour to an hour and a half uh, for the first couple or three sessions and then maybe had a longer session to conclude the mm -hmm. game. Mark Hoog from the forum, who says, unlike Leon uh, and Tony, as it turns out, I played Hellblade in pretty much one nightly sitting, accompanied by a candle and a thermos of coffee. I just wanted to take the plunge and not emerge until the credits rolled. And when they did, I was exhausted. Because Hellblade is not a game, it's an experience, a journey into a way of perceiving life that is so much different than mine. It doesn't even matter if what Senua goes through is the game's actual reality, it is her reality. Visually, the game is astounding. By now, people might unfairly compare it to the seamless tour de force that is God of War, but in its own right, Hellblade is technically impressive from beginning to end. The use of FMV projections felt a bit jarring at first, but once I got used to them, they added to both the game's uniqueness as well as Senua's sense of isolation. And her eyes, I just could not stop looking at her eyes. While the music was functional yet unremarkable, it was of course the sound design that really blew me away. During the later stages of the game, I found myself actually replying to the voices in my head, saying things like, shut up, and yeah, I know. This is when I took a break. Only downside for me was the combat, which got old really fast. After dying on a lengthy combat session in the Sea of Corpses, I immediately lowered the difficulty to easy, not wanting my immersion to be ruined by the frustration of death. In fact, I'd love for this game to have a mode where either death or combat is non-existent. That way, this experience can be undergone by people who are interested in mental disorder but have never held a controller in their life. Yet, to me, Hellblade is an important step forward in both understanding psychosis and exploring narrative in video games. That reminds me, I was going to ask in our playing history, what difficulties did we play on um, by default it's set to auto but there is uh, which I assume adapts depending on how much you're dying but there is an easier normal and a hard uh, I left mine on auto yeah same I assume same yeah I think that I started with it on auto but um, I, I mean we're going to get into uh, a more detailed description of uh, kind of the mechanics but I did not like the combat um mm -hmm like it all you're so, not alone i uh, yeah i know I, I, I don't want to go off on it quite yet but um Save it. yeah so i i did not um care for the combat so sure. i did actually bump it down to easy at some point um and then this time around i i just started with it on easy because i already knew that i did not like the combat right so yeah the scenario is uh set in and around uh, Norse mythology and medieval times and uh, sets in, effectively it is uh, the UK because she is a Pict. Um, so uh, 
it's it is interesting coming back to this after playing God of War. Obviously, this came out first, but this covers a lot of the same ground, albeit in a very different way. Um, uh, it's uh, an area of mythology um, that I I guess I've come across in fantasy works and um, other games in the past. I suppose. Uh, I guess the, the the guys who covered it for Two Human on the show, that's also set in and around the same ideas of Valhalla and Helheim and all that stuff. And obviously, I guess people will be familiar with it a little through the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Thor's sort of relationship with, with all that. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't for me, it was neither a, a lure nor a nor a, something that would put me off. Um, but it was interesting um, to see another take of it. And certainly with it seems that uh, the team did a lot of uh, actual historical research into yeah people's uh, the people who who they were going to depict uh, their their actual existence at this time and certainly very specifically in terms of clothes and jewelry and and homes and houses and all this kind of thing so uh, was that something that uh, it, it piqued your curiosity or was it just part of the for the deal for you guys I don't think that I even necessarily realized before I had purchased it uh, that I that this was that that it was that deep into uh, mm. the setting and and kind of the surroundings. Um, mm. So so it do, I don't think that it really had that much of an impact on me um, leading up to when I started it. But I I yeah. do really like it. It's, it's it's not something that you see that often in in popular culture up until pretty recently. So I, I, I like that it has kind of a different um, a different aim that way. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was necessarily a draw for me to go into the game. Um, but I appreciate the time, place and setting that, you know, they explore. And um, I think it once again, having played this game and hadn't and had it let it sit for a while, you can do more reading and, and you know dig even deeper into into what the developers themselves wanted to portray. But I think actually on you know from a game level and just playing through it, I think I just appreciated that it felt authentic enough for the story to be mm. told. For me, it was it was very much a, a draw because I've I've been interested in Norse mythology for a very very long time. Cool. Because I felt we you know we were kind of denied it when I was a little kid. I I spent lots of time after that seeking things out and I've read lots of sort of fantasy style novels set in in sort of Viking times and I've been, I've been a you know long term um, huge fan of um, like rock and metal music and there's a lot of um, Scandinavian uh, metal bands that that bring a lot of Viking yeah, stuff into yeah. their mythology and you know so I've, I've listened to lots of old Norwegian black metal bands <laughs> that do tons and tons of um, viking mythology stuff so it's it's definitely been something that i sought out and when i heard that this this was primarily set around that it was definitely one of the big factors for me to mm. pick it up oh cool uh yes well none of us are actual historians though but uh fortunately we have a historical correspondent a uh, friend of the show friend of joshua garrity's dr cat beck who wrote a brilliant piece for us uh called uh, hellblade senua's sacrifice giving a voice to the uh, to historical mental illness now while it focuses specifically on the game's treatment of uh mental illness and how that reflects on how society would have viewed a character who is suffering from psychosis and PTSD and all these things uh, she actually gets into the sort of the accuracies and uh, and the, the significance and the symbolism of 
of the of the piece in the Times um, far better than we ever could. So uh, go to canorince.com and read that. It actually drew praise from one of the game's advisors, uh, one of the one one of the um, mental health uh, professionals, uh, Paul Fletcher, who worked on the game. So uh, do check that out. We are just we are just games folks. Maybe not stupid ones, but we're not experts in uh, in that stuff, I guess. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the actual plot. Uh, Sen- Senua, who's actually uh, probably mainly inspired by uh, Boudicca, um, the name came from a Celtic goddess who was originally uh, known as Senua, but was actually later retranslated as Senuna, but uh, Antionades enjoyed the name. Uh, she's on a quest to save the soul of her dead lover, Dillian, uh, she has his head in a bag around her waist. Um, she has uh, her. She has a complex and difficult backstory involving uh, a mother who also suffered from some kind of. Uh, well, as far as she's concerned, a curse, of course, but actually, uh, probably mental health condition. Um, but it was uh, sort of hammered in home into her in no uncertain terms by her zealot a zealot religious father Zinbel um that uh, that they were they were cursed and bringing darkness onto themselves and the people around them um and through this there was mistreatment um and probably all sorts of things that as we did in our society uh, up until very, very recent times, actually treating people with mental health conditions uh, as, you know, treating them as, uh, as as a problem and, and a negative and a drain rather than people who are just put together differently to what we consider to be the norm and actually compounding those mental health problems, um, cementing them and making them far, far worse by not attempting to understand them or actually uh or actually practically deal with them or or assist with them in any way is that is that no, I mean, is that's, that how that's you guys pretty spot on. it's once again it's to do with you know the human's uh, inability to cope with fear and you know if you don't understand something that isn't normal uh but somebody who thinks they're normal tends to want to shut it away or get it as far away as from as possible and obviously in yeah. a darker time you know you know witches and all sorts kind of things would be cla- what they would have been classed out and um yeah yeah and we had less I mean, scientific understanding i'd even say now that society isn't fully uh, caught up no, probably where it not. needs to be um and we're, no. but we're obviously a lot <laughs> strides are being <laughs> made but not in all parts of the world yeah. um Things are happening slowly. Um, so, yes, it certainly makes sense that she was yeah, basically cast into a pit to go and yeah, <laughs> keep her away from um, infecting other people with her with her craziness or her darkness, as, as they were calling it. I will say that um, I, I find it interesting that she does see it as a curse right from the get go. And, and that's. Because uh, her mother, as as you say, we uh, we do kind of get some glimpses into that. Uh, you kind of you start seeing her, or uh, Senua starts seeing her face, um, just kind of around uh, the environments. And she, if you focus on her, she will talk to you. Uh, but her mother seems to kind of see it more as a um, n- not necessarily a good thing, but a just you are different you are not inferior Uh, and Mm. uh, Mm. it's it's interesting that her mother is able to keep that up Mm -hmm. 
in, in the face of, maybe? yeah, it, it's possible. Or just to that her mother is, you know, trying to soothe her child, who obviously is very troubled by this and, and mm. is seeing a lot of um, a lot of negative effects. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's not everybody is trying to and you do get some um, a little bit of uh, kind of flashbacks of her interactions with Dillian and he also is kind of, you know, very gentle in the fact that he does not want to push her away. She's kind of the one at that point who is saying, no, 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 I'm going to infect you. And it's, I think that it's a little difficult to determine how much of it, because, because certainly she does face um, the, the discrimination and kind of the, fear, mistrust, hatred, whatever it is from her people. But I think that a lot of it is coming from her. Like, I, th- I think that there are more people than maybe you might suspect who are trying to help her or who are trying to get her through this. But she just isn't by the nature of her uh, her mental state. She's not able to see this and she's only able to see the negatives, which I that's pretty common in uh, yeah. in a lot of uh, expressions of mental illness in real life. Mm-hmm. And you know the other people seeing the negatives are quite a strong part of the story. Like, yeah, I I didn't actually pick some of this stuff up from in the game, but you know, watching the featurette on the on the download and some of the other dev diaries later, they specifically mention that um, the father put the mother to death and burned her alive when mm-hmm. Senua was only five or six, which kind of kicked off. You know some of the the problems that she's had, and then later on, when it started manifesting in her, the father was abusive to her, mm-hmm. and she mentions to to Dillian. She talks about the fact that they all thought that she was cursed, and she uh, she then effectively exiles herself from the village to That's try right. and find you know peace from it, and to I guess give the you know give the other people what they're what they're asking for you assume that they were probably being very abusive and and trying to cast her out for you know what they saw as demons in her head hmm. yes and then at some point uh, she actually returns to see Dillian uh, who she's formed a relationship with to find that uh, the Norsemen or the Northmen have uh, invaded the village and uh, offered him as sacrifice leaving him yeah uh, actually strung up in this horrific thing which is apparently based on a real thing called the blood eagle which is basically pinned out with your your, your skin torn asunder and and your guts hanging out and uh, uh, and that really sends her over the edge as you might expect but I, I think the, the thing that the, the thing to stress here though is the game actually focuses on Senua herself and it tries yeah. to explore what's happening within you know within inside her brain rather than what's yeah. happening external which is what i think most games and most you know cinema tends to do which is the manifestation of you know anger and violence that comes from somebody rather than actually looking inside and saying well why why are these people made up like that and i think because it's such a hard question uh, to answer that you know people mm. tend to shy away from it and i think that's what a lot of the talk has been about this game is the fact that you know have they done a good job of actually you know dissecting what psychosis is within somebody um and you know they've gone a long way to to do their research and and bring professionals in and you know and and try to make the best kind of um game they could around that Uh, at the same time i don't think it's perfect in the way that it tackles some of the stuff and you know it's you know we'll talk about more about that in the end i'm sure but 
yeah, it's it's. I think that's the way to look at it. Is actually, it's it's her story, and mm. it's not just about the uh, you know the anger that's inside her manifesting into other people's lives. It's about her trying to deal with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about Senua. I mean, that's she is absolutely front and center, um, and let's talk about the performance as well because uh, it was an unusual scenario and a situation where. Uh, they were working with the studio's video editor, Melina Jurgens, um, as she was standing in while they looked to cast the, the main character. Um, it turned out that then they had to bring a deadline forward for a presentation for Sony. And so uh, they did this. Uh, it was, I think this was when, actually when they did the live action. Um, they sort of did the live performance with, with her actually doing the motion capture from, mm. from off stage. Um, and... Tamimi Antinades also has said that he knew, while not going into specifics, he says that he knew her well enough to know that she could tap into the kind of emotions that she would need to perform this role. But I just wanted to say what I think for somebody who's never acted before and uh, yeah, th this is literally her one acting credit. Um, the amount that she puts into it and gives out to it is uh, really, really like impressive. Isn't that... It happens so often, though, isn't it? If you follow anything, you know, regarding cinema, yeah. the amount of times that that's a debut performance—that's incredible. Yeah, children, especially. I mean, yeah. she's not and, a child, obviously, and, but, it, and it's yeah. because they they don't always fall down into those, you know, those acting traits. You know, oh, you've got to, you know, this is the way you do this yep. scene. This is the, yes. you know, how Hollywood has taught trained you. acting. Yeah, it's, yeah, so true. There's a naturalness about the performance in it. Rawness. Um, yeah, yeah, there is a rawness about it, which is, you know, and they 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 harness it. And obviously, the now is it performance capture or? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, weird FMV catcher as well at the same time. Obviously, yes. they're, they're known for this you know, ninja theory. They've been doing this for many, many years, and the tech has been getting better and better and better. Mm. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking back to, to female characters that they've had in the past, and I think they've all been strong. I mean, I think Nariko from Heavenly Sword, she is traditionally beautiful for sure, but then she also has her buddy along Kai, who's slightly off center and, and also slightly strange and bizarre as a character. Um, and I think enslaved, um, you know, Trip is also, you know, slightly off centre and, and a, a tad quirky. So I think they've excelled in those characters in the past. And I think to me, um, Senor is just a continuation of, of that, uh, you know, a step further. And I think, you know, if you look through their, their history, there's a there's a reason who, how she's turned out, how she's turned out. I think it doesn't matter what Senua looks like. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's really the strength here. Um, she's not, you know, she doesn't have giant breasts or, you know, uh, isn't scantily clad or whatever. But I, I think that that's, that's the whole thing is that she doesn't have to. It doesn't matter. I mean, she could. I mean, if it would still be anybody can be afflicted by this kind of mental illness mm -hmm. yeah. and it doesn't matter that she's not a model. It doesn't matter that what she looks like at all. She could be a man. She could be a woman. She could be a child. You know, it just I, I, I I'm glad that they did not focus on that necessarily, but it it's a little odd to hear that they intentionally. Uh, that they intentionally wanted to dirty her up as it were, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like they, you, you shouldn't have to, uh, it's, it's a kind of, a, I guess a sad thing about video games that you shouldn't mm. have to um, 
take that into consideration. It should just be, this is a person, not this is a woman. How do, how do we make her not look like the typical yeah. woman, air quotes? I think maybe that's where, where they went in the end. They went with the right person for the role, who was the person who was already doing it. Yeah, and her performance is fantastic. Her vocal work and stuff, the, the sort of raw screaming and things that mm. she does is Powerful. perfect for the role. Mm. And also, you know, how... Dis- sorry, um, how distracting would it be if you know if it was someone like Jennifer Hale who was like super <laughs> obvious, you just recognised straight away. It's like, oh, well, that's going to suck you straight out of the twelve hundred yeah. year old fantasy. I also think yeah. with the with the performance capture like this as well. I think if you bring outside actors, what I always feel is that they they try too hard. Like it's almost like she was just doing what she's been told by. You know, she's part of the development crew. I know she was doing the video vlogs and whatnot, but they're just, you know, dressing mm. her up and, you know, she's doing her thing and, and she just feels entirely comfortable with the tech rather than the tech being yeah. a scary thing. And, you know, you watch that on green screen. Some people are naturally suited to be able to act with that and other people look like they're, they're you know, not doing what they need to be done yeah. to be believable. And, you know, it's a, it's a real credit that it just feels like a natural performance. Um, that's a really good point you, you definitely you see interviews with with different actors who mm-hmm. sign up for for big budget fantasy movies and some of them say oh no I, I love doing green screens green screen stuff it's just play it's just make make believe like I've always done that's that's how I act but other people are like I need somebody's face there I need to be talking mm-hmm. to a an actual person not a not a ping pong ball on a stick kind of stuff mm. I, I was very glad that it wasn't Andy Serkis in the role and uh, it, although the um the guy who kind of leads her through the first few areas who yeah. is the, I did think the guy who was enslaved by them he was very similar looking. I did wonder if they were originally considering I don't know if I, I assume their relationship with with Andy Serkis is is, is still good uh, I believe he actually gives uh, Melina her award her performance mm-hmm. award at one of the yeah. uh, possibly at the BAFTA right it but doesn't yeah, surprise me uh, Nicholas Bolton um, is is the guy who plays Druth um, also Stephen Hartley plays the Shadow and Zinbel Oliver Walker plays uh, Dillian um, and Chipo Chung is, is the narrator. Ellie Percy is Galena. Mark Graham is the Furies. Um, but that is the entire supporting cast. And they're all uh, sort of well-known character actors. You will the, These are folks you, you will have seen if you go to the theatre, but you will also seen if you go if you watch daytime TV, if you watch Doctors or if you watch evening TV on Holby. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's that kind of act, actor who's who's done, you know, the, the whole sort of British circuit and maybe occasionally pops up in a in a Hollywood movie as well. But, um, yeah, I th- how did you guys feel about the sort of inclusion of FMV. I, I felt like uh, like Mark uh, Hugo, correspondent, that it was a bit. I found it jarring at first, but then it sort of made an interesting juxtaposition between the the real and the fantastical. I, I wasn't actually sure that it was FMV at first. Yeah, it's very heavily I, I thought, treated. It yeah, be it's well. I we had um, kind of talked a little bit about the the fact that there are various versions of this game available now in various different uh, visual. Um, mm. uh, style or not styles uh, various fidelities. visual fidelities yeah, yeah. There you go. thank you um i played this both times on just a standard ps4 mm-hmm. and i still think that it looks really good because yeah. Yeah. so much of it is so heavily stylized yeah. and i don't mean stylized like cartoonish or or anything like that but there are so many different visual effects that you're dealing with you have the um uh, the FMV portions that I think fit very well. Uh, you have kind of fire effects and uh, illusion type things um, it, that that kind of lend some um, 
some credence to her as a as a character who mm. doesn't always see things the way that other people see them yeah. uh the, the things that she is dealing with would kind of distort or or the, the way that she is being portrayed things are distorted in a way that it doesn't have to be necessarily photorealistic although some of the environments are just beautiful yeah um and, and I, I there's a photo mode correct there there's yes uh, yeah i did i didn't really mess around with that but um but yeah i mean it absolutely fits that there is because mm. there are um i'm sure that some of the um the more realistic things and, and probably the whole game looks really good if you uh if you mm. up the graphics even just a little bit but it e- even if you don't uh it it, just the fact that it's not all uh, just kind of the same thing all the yeah. way through, I think, is a, a very strong point to it, and uh, and means that even if, like me at the moment, all you have is you know your standard PS4. Oh no, um, <laughs> you, mm. you're still going to get a very visually appealing oh, yeah. experience out of yeah. it. Yeah, and much of the game is uh, is the intention is for it to be photorealistic. There are obviously long sections, much of it where she is uh, experiencing uh, different interpretations of the world visions and and um psychotic episodes but there are large portions where where you're wandering about and it and it's uh, it's a it's a yeah fairly one-to-one portrayal as best as current gen graphics can do of of a world and yeah i think you know it's very high I think that it's the fact that both of them are there it just they strengthen each other you know you mm. have the the kind of weird flashy visions and you have this this beautifully portrayed world right yeah i, I think that the key to it for me anyway is the uh the film grain that they use over the title. Yeah. Um, and I think for a couple of reasons, it, it keeps it grounded maybe as a bit feeling a bit more indie. And I know that sounds bizarre, but you know, there's whenever you watch, um, films with film grain, there's a, it's an artistic style. Like there's a reason they want to add it. It's not, you know, there's, you know, I've quite, there is a few films I've seen in the past where that you have the ability to have film grain or take it off and it completely changes. Yeah, there's no option to turn it off. Yeah, here, the, so, and yeah. yeah, for rightly so. So even playing on the, on the, you know, the more higher spec platforms that stays yeah. there. What, yeah. what it adds is obviously the popping is slightly less. The draws distance with that is slightly more. The, mm. you know, the uh, things like bridges and whatnot, are, you know, are a higher resolution. So, you know, there's less jaggies on there, but the actual, feel of the game stays intact doesn't matter what platform you're playing on because yeah. they've chosen that and i and i think with that that film grain really helps because to me it blends all the aspects of the the fmv life action sequences with the the main game uh, and then kind of the as you're playing through the main game the kind of in-game engine sequences that go you know, it just it kind of blends them all together uh, i want to say seamlessly but it, it certainly helps along the way and I, it's something where yeah, it's at times it feels every bit of a triple A development game because some of the the art in there is just phenomenally well designed. At other times it feels like okay, now I can see where you know they haven't had the budget to go full blown on this, but it's, yeah. it never actually feels that way in its presentation. The presentation always feels like it's it's right up there. They've got some amazing artists there, um, oh, yeah. and you know it's it's just cleverly put together and designed. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but she is the only fully modeled yeah. human in the game, correct? Yes. Like everybody else that you see is either in flashbacks, so you don't see them clearly, mm-hmm. or they're using FMV or both, or, you or they're know, monstrous it, or burnt or yeah, yeah, exactly. rotting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On the subject of that audio, Kermit McElmo, the excellently named <laughs> forum contributor, says... 
Headphones. I love great headphones. I'm glad I do, as to play Hellblade you really need a decent pair of cans, as recommended by the screen before you start. From the start, as you paddle through a bog on your rickety old canoe, you start to hear voices. The paranoia seeps in. To defeat Hella, you have to defeat two very different bosses, Fire and Illusion. The demons you fight are not everywhere and it left me on my toes waiting for them to jump out and use the simple yet fun dodge parry strong quick attack combat, especially when you go into focus mode. But it is now when the darkness creeps in, so dark the demons even seem to disappear, solving puzzles, trying to ignore the voices in my head. The darkness, the darkness, the darkness. For me, the audio was 50% of this game, namely the level where you must escape the darkness using only torchlight and your ears to encounter an unforgettable boss fight, the giant hog creature who disappears into the darkness, fighting him using my ears, listening for the beast. I found this fight challenging, frustrating, with a constant fear that I may be dying too much and have my save deleted, <laughs> something I googled after completion and found out was a brilliant lie. Uh, I also played this with headphones, as Leah did for her second play. Uh, yeah, I've got the uh, the nice Sony ones that uh, that uh, are recommended by by Sony. Um, <laughs> Surprise! I, that's the, those are the ones I have as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they are yes, very nice. They are, and uh, yeah. There's again, there's some footage on the on the included featurette uh, where the the voice actors who play the various voices in your head are working in a in a, a fairly large open room around a binaural microphone which is actually shaped like a pair of ears uh, so you can you can actually see that they could effectively they knew they were almost working in a performance capture way uh, although it's entirely auditory uh, they are sort of circling each other and uh, working around each other to create this proper yeah this sort of 3d internal dialogue uh, to replicate the voice hearing that many uh, patients of psychosis do um i think personally that overall this is yeah it's really yeah memorable and um and uh, an effective tool i've never suffered from voice hearing i do have various mental health concerns but that is not one of its manifestations i'm quite relieved to say because i imagine it is an in incredibly difficult thing to deal with um but the only sort of sort of qualm I had with it was that at times they were pretty much telling you this what to do like too much oh, see, I liked that um <laughs> I, yeah I, I actually did like that because uh, as in how to solve the game not as in where to like I understand that the voices are compelling you that's fine but when they're saying look over there that's the solution to the puzzle that was a bit like <laughs> taking the game out of it yeah so I don't know I I, I okay. like I said I, I liked that because it um it never felt like it was so specific as to really make it that too okay. easy. I, I didn't think that the puzzles were exceptionally difficult because I liked mm. some of the things that they did. Like when you are looking for specific shapes in the environment, the closer you get to them, you start to get kind of little um, after images of them uh, just all over the sky and everything. Cause I, I think that if you hadn't had some kind of hints, some of them would have been really difficult to find, but um yeah, I don't know. I in the combats when when you, the voices will say behind you or, mm. you know, it, it's if you trust them enough, 
Never trust them. Then that's, that's, yeah, see, that's the thing is, I mean, I don't think that they ever necessarily give you bad advice when it is something like that, but they're also saying you're never going to make it or she's never going to make it, you know, and she, Mm. she's going to die, you know, she's going to fall down. She has to get back up. You know, I, I, I liked that. I, cause it, it balances the, the kind of negative things that they're throwing your way with, you know, hints and, and kind of that kind of thing. I, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought the inclusion in the combat was actually uh, it, it it was very helpful in a couple of ways. Where um, I think particularly the two boss fights that you have quite near the beginning, um, where you have to do specific things to progress during the boss fight. I think one of them is the um, the god soot. You get to a point where I think he sets himself on fire and you just can't do anything to him anymore. And I I died two or three times to that before realizing that when it gets to that point going focus focus use the mirror i was like oh 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 okay i I shouldn't be entirely just blocking these things out more fun than a chair more fun than a tutorial or or an on-screen icon i assume there are accessibility options for people who can't hear uh, I'm not sure, but the, I mean, the game a, a, is Subtitles completely um, HUD free. So it has none of the, the normal trappings. I think once again, it keeps you within that world. And I think that's really important. So yeah, there's never a tutorial. There's, you know, use your common sense. And occasionally if you do wander off the track too far, you do get that little kind of nudge by, by the voices inside your head, which I think is, you know, is a, a clever way around it um, rather than just popping up a, yo, press this button. It's uh, <laughs> It just takes you out of that experience. Yeah. But equally, I think I, I do agree with you a little bit, Leon, that um, I think occasionally, not that they go too far, I think mm. they use them in a way which, to me, maybe I've just seen too many Woody Allen films, that there, there's, a, there's like a little angel on one corner of my shoulder and the little devil talking in the other corner. And sometimes it's a little too... Um, on point of on the nose yeah, yeah, yeah I'm the good one and I'm the bad one you should listen to me no you should listen to me rather than being a bit more kind of mixed tone I understand that that does accurately reflect yeah, some voice hearers experience though it, yeah, it, I it is yeah, I met, that that straightforward for some people I know I, so yeah I, my, my complaints may be a bit too um, you know gamey no but I agree from but, a video game perspective I, I did I, yeah I agree um, but um, but th- that's not all the game so that, that period that actually does happen yeah. at other times you know they seem like they're, they're teaming up as one to uh, to take you down and break your confidence um, but they it did quite often feel quite gamey in that, in that regards and you know I think in the combat, brilliant because it needed to be there, and you know I didn't want a tutorial or any other those experiences. And you know the the tension when they shout behind you, and you know exactly somebody is behind you because that means that the strike is coming down, um, rather than you 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 know, kind of have you know two seconds to react. And yeah, you know, that that I loved, but at times it did feel overwhelming. It's meant to feel overwhelmed, but at times it, it felt mm. maybe a little comedic, and I don't mean that in a in a, a kind of in a way that it's sounds like it's coming across but it, maybe it's just mm. too many years of, of kind of the voices on your shoulder kind of the skits i've seen mm. <laughs> skits good, good pun there um <laughs> or very bad or very poor uh, i like it though um yeah uh, and obviously probably the less talked about aspect of the sound in this game is the music obviously there's uh, there's incidental music as composed by David Garcia and Andy La Plega, or Plegua. Um, 
I actually thought a lot of this was uh, was was very good. I'd, I've I've seen some descriptions of it saying it was you know fairly uh, humdrum or workmanlike or you know as you'd expect. But I actually thought there was a there was a really good atmospheric backing to almost uh, every scene. Um, then there are a couple of songs used. One of which I really liked. One of which I really didn't like. There's uh, there's a song that is kind of integral to the the final boss sequence, uh, which is called "Just Like Sleep" by Passarella Death Squad. Uh, which I did like, but then the the song that plays over the end credits, obviously not a major deal, um, called Illusion by VNV Nation, I did not like, um, but obviously that's very much a personal thing. But I thought it was, uh, I don't know, it just it didn't fit for me, and it didn't it didn't bring home the emotion of the experience I just had. But obviously that's always a yeah, hit or miss thing. But um, yeah, how, John, how did you feel about the in game music and the use of songs? Um, overall throughout the game with the the atmospheric stuff that really to me just sort of blended into the background and it felt perfectly attuned to what was going on to the point where I sort of look back at it and go I can't really think that much of what the music was like (laughs) I remember there being a lot of silence and a lot of you know very obvious absence of sounds but I guess that's that's a you know to the credit of of the the background sounds that they did seem to just fit in so nicely. And I'm um, unlike you guys, I don't have a good pair of headphones um, for any of my consoles. I've got a very crap pair of old headphones. Um, so my my response was basically, I've got a pretty nice sound bar and um, a subwoofer setup. So I just cranked the sound up sure. really, really loud yeah. to the point where my flat was shaking and just thought, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Your neighbors like my neighbours moved out last week, so yeah. I don't care. Oh. I probably wouldn't have cared if they'd still been there, to be honest, but it, it worked pretty well. Mm. So that I, I've got lots of mental images of, you know, sort of wind blowing and, you know, the sea rolling in and yeah. out. And Oh, yeah, some lovely uh, foley. And, and I actually wanted to uh, pay credit to the, um, the sound producers and editors for the... Uh, I think it's a, a part of games design that doesn't, and we even we who where we try to credit people, we don't give enough credit to the people who actually make the sound sound like they are as they should be. Do you know what I mean? I think it's really important to get the you know, the the sense of space. The the, the how, I, I'm, I don't do it, so I don't know. But um, I have friends who do, and there's a real science to it. So yeah, <laughs> it. I I will say that um, this this pastime uh, it, where I've been kind of. Uh, playing over the past couple of days um <laughs> it I, i've been trying to play with um with the lights off when possible just because mm. i i kind of I, I i like i i feel like it it just fits for this it's experience kind of a survival uh, horror kind of experience to yeah, with, so without I mean, the and, cheese and just playing it with the <laughs> the the especially the uh, the narrator kind of that whole beginning sequence just having some having her just speaking directly in your ear it just mm. kind of gives you the little chill on my spine i mean i know that's a, a kind of a um a cliche but uh, but it really does just having it that close yeah. um but what i was going to say about the uh the sound was that uh, it's been a little bit rainy here over the past couple of days and mm. a lot of the game yeah. um you're you're hearing thunder and and there is rain and every and, and a couple of times i had to kind of 
figure out whether it was thunder <laughs> that I was hearing in yeah. the game yeah. or whether it was thunder that I was hearing yeah. from, yeah. you know, my, my window. And uh, so I guess that means it's pretty good. That's a great, yeah, it's a great sign that they've done the sound yeah. well and that you've got a decent sound setup. I would say, yes. actually, although I also played with the nice headphones, um, I think there is probably uh, a lot of merit to playing this with a nice surround sound setup, especially if, the you know, the rear speakers are, are just behind yeah. your head, that kind of thing. I think that, all, I, that I would think also the, offer... The difference is, and I played it both ways, is you know nice 7.1 setup and you know it's yeah you are encapsulated by the sound but uh, once again the experience of somebody walking in the room yeah you perceptually can kind of you know hear them within that kind of soundscape the the thing with headphones is when you've got a set of headphones off and you are in a dark room and you're concentrating on the screen you don't have that perception of people because you don't hear that kind of noise coming from a distance so i had a couple of times mm. where my wife walked in and you know you know just brushed past me and you know i almost oh, yeah. went through the roof yeah. like any yeah, good yeah. horror game <laughs> right and I mean, it's not necessarily this is a horror game but it has that that eeriness to the it's sound horrific yeah <laughs> you could make an argument for it i i, I yeah I definitely think of this as you know if if, if you want to, it, it feels slightly reductive because of the 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 heavyweight subject matter but I would definitely class this as a yeah as a horror as a horror game um it it is full of horrific imagery mm-hmm. and it deals with the subject of somebody mentally going to hell which yeah it's hard hard to know what else to call it really psychological thriller i suppose but um um speaking of the depiction of psychosis in the game uh experts who worked with the team as i said include professor uh, professor paul fletcher from the university of cambridge and also uh, writer and psychologist uh, professor charles fernyhoe or fernyhuff not sure from university of durham an expert on voice hearing uh, ninja theory received funding for the game from the welcome trust who also helped them creatively in their depiction of mental illness notably helping them to get in contact with people suffering from it they work with people from a recovery college an establishment which acts as both a health facility and a college for its patients Antionades was marked by the story of a girl who has to live with an angry voice screaming at her, slamming on doors and walls 24 hours a day. That's someone who would often see corpses hanging in the room so real that they would sometimes try to rescue them. And that inspired several events featured in the game. On the flip side... Not all media outlets, uh, this is according to Wikipedia, were satisfied with the game's depiction of the condition. In an article published uh, to criticise the game, uh, Mike Gaming editor Jason Faulkner, who had experience working with the mentally ill, praised Senua's character but was highly critical of the game, stating that it should have focused on helping people to truly understand psychosis and have the condition to be focal and explicit instead of representing it metaphorically. If you go into the game without any background information, you might assume assume that Senua is living with delusions and North mythology inspired hallucinations, or you might think that she's being haunted by demons and ghosts. The portrayal of Senua's mental illness would be better served by showing both sides of her story, what's in her head and what's actually happening. He also stated that the game stifles the opportunity to inject commentary about the broader picture of mental health care, notably by not depicting caregivers or other people dedicated to helping those with mental illness in real life. Unlike most articles reflecting on the ending, who saw it as a metaphor for Senua learning to live with her illness, Faulkner believed that the ending was magically curing Senua and condemned the game for it. Uh, Edge magazine deplored that Senua's psychosis was depicted as something of an asset, a helpful superpower that can give you the strength to soldier on through the darkness so long as you can put up with the odd breakdown here and there interesting any comments on that people 
exactly. I, I think the whole point is that she doesn't have people to. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm speaking on the uh, caregivers the bit about. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. I, agree. I, I mean, I, I can see where they're coming from in a mm. lot of these places. Yeah. But that actually you are that's not what this game is the no. whole problem is that she doesn't have people who are uh, who are giving her care or who are helping her deal with this it's Precisely. not yeah exactly yeah. the the reason that things are so bad well, part of the reason that things are so bad for her is because she's been shunned and because all of these terrible things have happened that have taken away anybody who might have actually cared for her yeah totally. yeah i i think i i don't i, think I don't, I don't think that's I yeah i don't think that's really on track but i i i can kind of see i i, I see what the complaint is but again that's it's a little i i think that it kind of misses it, it doesn't miss the point but it's asking for a different game than this is but it's hard isn't it because dillian is there at at the, at, you know, as part of a flashback, and he's clearly helping her, you know, come to terms with who she is. And so, I think there is an element of you know, people, you know, trying to support her. It's not as clear cut as maybe other people. You know, I think you know, the, the whole you know, should show depict care and and stuff like that. I think there there maybe would be room in inside of this game to depict a, an external view of what's happening sometimes when you know, because it. it it's hard on occasions, and, and the game is, you know, is, is done on this way in purpose. It's, it's hard sometimes to grasp what is reality and what is inside our head on occasion. Sometimes it feels like you, you, know, you are, you know, this could all be based inside our head. Other times it absolutely feels like you're, you know, part of this adventure and you're dipping in and out. And there's been, you know, plenty of write-ups that would suggest that this the game could actually be, you know, either either or, depending how you, you view it. And yeah. I could see a point where you could have a, a camera view that pulls out and just to see her crumpled on the floor of, you know, after 10 minutes of play and, and see that actually nothing is happening. But I think it's it's more down to your interpretation of, of what's happening on the screen and and trusting its audience to, you know, <laughs> to follow that, to follow what they feel the, the interpretation is rather than just be really explicit. I think it's good to hear uh, dissenting voices mm -hmm. in, on a subject like this, though, because I think there is a danger that when a, a relatively new medium and obviously, you know, games have been attempting to you know, do more, be more in terms of depth for some time, not all games. And that's great. Uh, we, we, you know, we certainly cover games that don't attempt to be anything more than video games on Kane and Rince and we embrace those. But I think we can also embrace the medium uh, trying these things out and I think it is important to have people actually questioning that because I think there is a danger that uh, people who if a game tackles a subject and then a game says it's covering a subject people then watch uh, play that game and then say oh now I understand that subject and it's, <laughs> it's never like that mm. it's like the sort of watching watching a film that purports to be about a real life event watching that one movie and then saying oh now I know what happened in that in that case when actually if you read into what actually happened it's often incredibly like huge huge elements of, of difference and similarly you know it would i think it would be bad and dangerous for people to play hellblade and come out of it and go oh i understand psychosis now because you wouldn't you have a tiny inkling into an idea of what maybe one person might have experienced in a certain situation and maybe some of that experience you can pass across to uh, your own life and, and the lives of, of people in, in the modern world experiencing this. Um, so recently we played um, a game on uh, for Canyon Rings called Actual Sunlight and that was you know focusing on depression. 
Now, of course, a game like that, you know, it's it was hard to somebody that doesn't suffer from depression um, to play through that. And, you know, it doesn't make me an expert on that subject, but it does give me an insight into that subject, which I found, yeah, sure. you know, fascinating. And equally, mm. you know, I'm not, I'm no more an expert on psychosis than I ever probably would have been uh, without playing this game. But it, it is a an insight into um, yeah. how it manifests and if anything else, it's about, you know, the the study of it thereafter. It's, you know, piquing my interest and, and wanting to read further uh, you know, as, as much as the other game did. So, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Even just the knowledge that it is something that is so complex mm. that you can't... It, just, just kind of bringing it up is, is a good yeah, step and in I, the right direction, and I, and I, I think. And I think the, you know, the critical appraisal this game was getting prior to a release which showed that you know people are concerned about how this subject would be tackled in a quote game um mm. so you know and, and once again it comes back to we've already had correspondences like you know should the the gameplay element even be in this game uh, you know does it does it belong in a game that tackles this kind of subject so <laughs> yeah it's a it's a difficult one for sure mm. well testament to the value that a game like this can have uh, this is an absolutely magnificent forum post um, i'm so pleased uh, gangster swedish signed up to to share this uh, gangster swedish says i was hesitant to give hellblade a playthrough initially so much that i bought it on ps4 and waited nearly a year until its release on xbox one to give it a try my reasons for doing so had nothing to do with the type of game it was more that the subject matter is extremely personal to me I come from a childhood deeply affected by mental illness. My mother was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic when I was just four or five years old. She lived with us until I was 16, after which she was committed to a mental institution and then special housing for people with her disease until she died a couple of years ago. Needless to say, while I was curious about Hellblade, I almost dreaded playing it. I read a lot about Hellblade in the gaming press. Ninja Theory reportedly spent a lot of time studying mental illness in an effort to get it right. But what is getting it right exactly? Would it be respectful of people who have schizophrenia? Would it be respectful of their loved ones, family and friends? Or would it purely cash in on the whole experience of it? I wanted to know, but I didn't want to find out. After reading on Twitter that Ninja Theory was donating monies from Hellblade's profits to mental health research, I finally decided to take the plunge. This company clearly wants to invest in doing the right thing for whatever reason, and I figured I owed it to them, and to my two purchases of the game by that point, to give it a go. I donned my headphones, fired up my Xbox One X, and spent the next full day playing Hellblade all the way through, the only time I will ever play it. By the time I was finished, I was absolutely exhausted. What Ninja Theory has done is nothing short of incredible. Hellblade isn't the best video game I've ever played. In fact, in terms of game mechanics, it's little more than a hybrid walking simulator with occasional fighting game elements. But its presentation absolutely shook me to my core. I'm 46 years old now, and this damn game finally gave me an all-too-brief glimpse into what my mother's life experience is like. Sure, my mum wasn't alive during medieval times, but everything she ever described to me, from hearing conflicting voices to experiencing radically different realities, and never know which were real and which were not, it was all there, and quite frankly, it scared the hell out of me. I finished Hellblade and stared at my backlog of hundreds of games, both current gen and older, and couldn't find anything to play. I spent the next two weeks or so thinking of nothing else, fully unable to even start up a quick online FIFA match or play some Rocket League. I felt like I was in shock, like I'd experienced something so terrifying and yet so educational that I didn't know quite what to do next. More than anything, though, I missed my mum like I've not missed her in years. 
I've been playing games for decades now, and I've argued many times that they're an art form. It wasn't until I played Hellblade, though, that I realised how important an art form they really are. Nor did I realise that I could ever connect with something, game, movie or otherwise, on the level that I connected with this masterpiece. Well, there you go. I would imagine, I really hope, uh, you know, we always tag in the developers of uh, games when we, uh, when we, promote the podcasts uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure Ninja Theory will be tagged in. Don't know if anyone there is the, is the kind of person that would listen to a um, an amateur <laughs> UK games podcast on their game. But uh, if nothing else, um, I'm sure they would enjoy that fantastic piece of correspondence. Thank you again to uh, Gangster Swedish. So that death mechanic... Um, or lack thereof, uh, it's a game where you can, uh, in the style of modern video games, you can die, in inverted commas, uh, you, there's a fail state, and you will get put back to the start of, yeah, not too far, there's fairly frequent checkpoints even within the combat sequences, but the game, as as we already heard, uh, lies to you, It's the game itself is an unreliable narrator, it suggests that if you die in the game, if the rot on your arm reaches your head, you will not only uh, be fully game overed, but your progress will be deleted. Uh, now, unfortunately, I'd read about this long before <laughs> I actually played the game, as I'm sure many of us had. So I knew that it was a bluff, but uh, I kind of wish I hadn't known that. Did any of you play it believing that permadeath was real? A real threat. Uh, I was semi um, believing it because although I must have heard in the past that it's not true because I think there were lots of news stories, you know, a week after the game came out with people playing through and purposefully getting themselves killed and trying to get it reset. And it was it was I remember it being quite a big thing for a, a few days. So I'd, I'd heard all of that. But as soon as I saw the thing on screen pop up saying hinting at it. All that was in my head was, oh yeah, I kind of remember hearing about the permadeath thing. And I spent the next few chapters of the game where I think you get combat for about three or four chapters. Then you get, you know, things happen in the game and there's a long section without any combat. And I I was actually quite nervous while I was going <laughs> through because the combat feels very weighty and in a lot of ways, um, you know, desperate and overwhelming as it is then with this extra threat of if you get struck down you know is it going to effectively you know delete your save and make you start Contribute again and to i your did ultimate demise yeah yeah like, and although i definitely knew in the back of my head somewhere that that wasn't the case i still kind of i still watched the, the black goo creep up yeah. for it probably the first four or five times it happened and i was this horrible little niggling thing in the back of my mind going it might be true. You know, what if they patched it back in? What if, what if all of those people talking about it were wrong in the first place? Like, what if it is true? You know, what's it going to happen? What's what's it going to mean for me? You know, if, if I get my save reset, you know, halfway through the game. Yeah. And I kind of watched this thing go up, and then I noticed that it wasn't moving anymore. Mm. And then I think I noticed that it was moving at one point, even when I didn't die it was clearly linked in with the story somewhere where it grew a little bit more. And I was like, ah, you know what? It's probably not true, is it? <laughs> and then I went and, you know, looked it up and was like, nah, it's, it's, it's a false, um, you know, bluff that they've pulled. But it, remarkably effective. And I think it does, it does add a lot, even if it's not true. 
like and you know that it's not true it still kind of makes things feel a bit more horrible what, what was interesting was seeing you know the the multiple youtube videos thereafter everyone trying to complete it on day one not knowing that and yeah. you know in their reviews quoting it as you know a thing and obviously you know to come out and actually know it's it's not a thing but i yeah i i like it as the idea of a mechanic at the same time, you know, I think, you know, for this game to kind of hit that audience of acceptance, which I think it wants to do, yeah, I think it would have been a, a tough move to pull for people that just want to, unless you make easy mode, you know, just, you know, walk in the park easy. I think it would have been quite a tough move to pull for people that just wanted to experience the story and then to be, you know, have their, their progress reset halfway through a game. But it, yeah, having that fear of death, I think is is always challenging in a game um and it's something that we've never re- you know many of us have never really got to terms with uh progress being reset and essentially yeah um it wouldn't be the first game to explore with that whole narrative of well you died you know start again mm. Mm. and it does it does feel like if it was if it was true you notice the first few times that you die the stuff starts spreading really really quickly yeah. so you're sitting there you know really quite anxious about it especially yeah. because in those first two or three chapters, there's quite a few very tough combat sections, like the boss, mm. the um, Val Raven boss, yeah. which um, was the first one that I went to because I picked the door on the left instead of the right. Um, yeah, I died multiple times during that fight. It gets it gets quite tough, and then resets you quite a quite a distance if you die during it. Like there's quite a few different then enemies it throws at you between having to beat the thing. So if it if they'd actually done this. And it was it was something they'd left in the game. Mm. I think it probably would have made it uh, exceptionally unfair. Yeah, and See, added even more pressure. See, you say that that is something that might turn people off, but I don't know that it would necessarily because people really like very hard games, um, like Dark Souls. Oh, take it well, think that was a, like a hard mode extra. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, there, I, yeah, but, you know, I, go for it. <laughs> I think that there would still be people who would see that as a really, a, a really good thing because people like really difficult games, and also because there is that that. Um, easy mode which i had since since i did have my uh my uh difficulty combat difficulty cranked down the easy i had more problems with a couple of the um the sections uh, and (laughs) this happened to me both times that i played the beginning of the game and um i i probably always will there is there are a few sections where you are uh, kind of balancing on bits of the environment to make your way from place to place <laughs> oh, and there is one right at the beginning of the game mm. that is a very long um just kind of board that that takes you from mm-hmm. one place to another and you have to be very very careful as you're going across it and i hadn't quite figured out that you don't just kind of if you start to fall you kind of just need to nudge yourself over to the mm. uh, to the correct side so i died two or three times mm. just on that and was freaking out the first time i played it because when i played it the first time you kind of had people on both sides. There were, I, I seem to remember there being one or two people who swore that it, this uh, had happened to them and that, and now I wonder if like maybe those were, were plans from the developer or what, what yeah. it was. I, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but there were, you know, reports of uh, supposedly people having had this happen to them. And then there were other people saying, no, I, I you know, like we well, kind of know now. Um, week one, there was 
uh, a number of bugs for the game where people were losing save oh. progress. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, yeah. maybe that was it then. And, and but yeah, no, that's the first time. The first time, as John was saying, you know, it, it does the first couple of times you die, it really does just kind of zoom up your arm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had died two or three times just trying to walk across a stupid plank. <laughs> thinking, and and yeah, that was scaring yeah. the heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. But sure. if you were less confident, you might have actually restarted the game. <laughs> yeah. at that point. But I, yeah, I, I, I might have thought about it. <laughs> I don't think the narrative should be, though, that this is a super hard game. I, I think it, you know, at times I, no, there, there is a challenge so. to it, but, it, you know, it doesn't fall into the same bracket as, you know, Dark Souls, no, etc. It's, yeah. Leo was suggesting that it it would it might have been if it was permadeath it would be a very different experience. Right, you know, and, and I, I, I always harken back to you know to stuff like you know recently playing through Wolfenstein too, and there's the the achievement for you know going through them the hardest difficulty without dying, and you yeah. know just insane. And people have done it because you know people are people. But you know, th- this game I don't think is is hard. I think there is a challenge to the combat that is absolutely yeah. there, but I, d- I don't think it's insurmountably for for most gamers. Well, we'll talk combat mom- momentarily, uh, which obviously would, how much you enjoy it, would affect how happy you were with the idea of a permadeath. Uh, Scrussel from the forum says, Hellblade is an amazing and intense experience that provides an uncompromising view into it, the experiences of a character with psychosis in a way that only games can offer. While perhaps not intended to be precisely realistic, it definitely feels authentic and all the more powerful for it. The game does a fantastic job of putting you in Senua's perspective by immersing you in her audio-visual experience, building a world where the line between the real and surreal break down. It has very clever use of environmental puzzles that make for some very unique sites that get you to see the game world in a different way, while also doing a good job of getting you into the mindset of looking for patterns in the world that may or may not actually be there, as is supposed to be a common part of psychosis. I was surprised upon playing the game, even though I knew about all the themes it was attempting to tackle going in, how much it actually resembled a horror experience rather than an action game. While it's still primarily action in between lots of exploration, the way it creates a genuine feeling of dread and fear was not something I was expecting. All the audio-visual tricks frequently work together to create some disquietingly fearful moments. For example, in the sequence where you have to escape from a burning village in a hallucination, the way the fire seems to engulf you and the truly harrowing screams of people caught by the flames had way more of an impact on me than I was prepared for going in. I found the combat to be very enjoyable. It's somewhat limited in its scope, but it's tense and has a sense of danger to it. It, is, uh, it also helps that it's excellently animated and has great kinesthetics too, but the feeling I got from it was palpable feeling of intensity and claustrophobia. I can see why people might think it, it is a bit too repetitive. In a way, I think that fits very well with my feelings on it too. It fits into the idea that Senua is fighting her inner demons that may seem endless and rote in one sense, but also very real and threatening at the same time. Even if she's battling the same monsters over and over again, they never stop feeling deadly or overwhelming. Overall, the game is a brilliant experience and it really blew me away. It's an intense, even at times emotionally exhausting experience that provides an unflinching and immersive look into the experiences of a character with a unique perspective that utilises the strengths of the medium with expertise and originality. It's a game that I think simply must be played by anyone who wants to see how games can explore the experiences of others with an unusual view on the world. And it does all this while also being very compelling, if relatively simple action game at the same time. Uh, So, yes, the combat uh, is probably the thing I've read uh, the most sort of critique of uh, in negative sense. Uh, Apparently, even during development, 
It may have been that internally they weren't entirely happy because following issues with the system, uh, it was announced in 2016 that top stunt actors Chloe Bruce and Callie Nell had been brought in to perform motion capture of key game characters to help the combat feel smoother. So uh, my personal feeling was that uh, it's all right. It's like uh, it's mechanically very simplistic, but I do agree with Scrussell that the sense of weight and and, and pace of it, the slowness of it, um, and that claustrophobia uh, is effective in telling the story. But certainly, uh, no one should go into this expecting another DMC <laughs> um, in terms of uh, how you will feel. Although, having said that. Uh, when you do power up, as it were, uh, using the mirror, um, there are cathartic moments of uh, Senua very much feeling like she is uh, the warrior that she was trained to be, uh, even if she is only battling, uh, possibly battling spectral forces rather than uh, actual men. Um, so how did this work out for you? Leah, you said you were you did not like the combat. Is that is it as simple as that? I did not. Yeah, I did not like the combat. Um, so I I think that where I fell on the combat, uh, to kind of expand on that a little bit, is that I didn't feel like it ever really felt necessary. I think that this game would have been stronger if they had excised the combat completely and made it strictly a... I, I don't... I mean, the term walking simulator has so much baggage. We know what but it means. It's fine. You know what, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, With the, the puzzles... puzzles yeah, the puzzles and the uh, maybe add more puzzles if you felt that like you needed more, but I don't even think you necessarily needed that. It just felt so perfunctory. Like you walk into a room and you think, oh, well, there's going to be some guys attacking me here. And then you block, hit, hit, block, hit, hit. And that's kind of it. Uh, and I, again, I did have the combat on easy, but I did not... Uh, from what I got out of it, I did not like the combat enough to try. I, I'm not opposed to difficult combat, but I did not feel any incentive to get good at the combat because I didn't think that it was adding anything to the gameplay. Um, I, I just kind of got bored with it and felt like it was something that was there just to to pad it out. It sounds a little more um, derogatory than what I want, but... Uh, <laughs> I like I, I don't I don't think that it was that much of an afterthought, but I, I think that I don't think it was needed really. Certainly adds. I reckon it's probably about maybe one fifth or a quarter of the entire game time you're playing is is fighting. So there is yeah a chunk of what is up to maybe is I, I'm not sure how the length of the game sort of eight hours ten hours yeah something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't feel like it was necessary. I, I think it would have been just as good of a game without it, uh, and might have even felt a little. Uh, um, sleeker i guess as an experience it's, it's interesting you say that actually because i didn't go on with the combat to start off with uh, but it's something i felt that i progressed with and not necessarily mastered but felt more comfortable with towards the end of the game because obviously they deliver on what at one stage it feels like it's all combat and actually the puzzles are taken away side but actually to your point i kind of agree and disagree but like flipped around so i feel like you know um Actually, at times, I could have done with less puzzles. And for, for almost the exact same reason as you, um, that it it almost gamified the story somewhat. And what is really hard about that is, you know, I've played a lot of, you know, okay, walking simulators. Um, and, you know, 
each one has a different take on it. So th- this reminds me of Soma. Um, Soma has a you know, really interesting game world, um, and equally it has really po- paralyzing combat um, sections in there. Some people love them, some people don't. I love them because I think it added um, t- attention to the world that would have been um, lacking without them. And I th- and I feel the same with Hellblade. I think having the combat there, there is attention. Um, and gameplay that is, you know, puts me on the edge of the seat at times, and um, it breaks up um, what I feel at times was the monotony of the puzzles. Um, so having having the sprinkle, I think if it was just puzzles, bit of story, puzzles, bit of story, it it maybe wouldn't have quite the the impact towards me. And I think to me there was a right balance between puzzles, combat, story, uh, like the freeway structure of the this type of game um and i think you know t- disposing of either one would be an interesting experiment but i'm glad they stuck with you know that kind of free tier structure for me anyway i i feel pretty similarly i quite liked the way that they broke the game up and had the first few chapters had quite a lot of combat then you've got a few chapters where there's no combat at all and then there's another sort of onslaught of combat at the end of it and i i'm not mad on this style of combat like it but it feels very appropriate for what they're trying to get at in the game it feels very weighty it feels heavy and sluggish and probably more realistic to what actual sword fighting combat is than you know something where you're sort of zipping around and jumping all over enemies i think of like the combat in the old assassin's creed games or like the arkham asylum games or something where it's it's almost a quick time event of pressing the right buttons at the right time like this felt more uh yeah i know people complain about using the word visceral but it felt more visceral to me than uh something that was yeah, very floaty and it that seemed seemed appropriate for what they were getting at but i'm i'm quite glad that there was as little of it as there was that it wasn't you know the entire game but I, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd take what was there away. Lumps on a fair amount at the end, doesn't it? And there's uh, yeah, there's a bridge section where there's quite a lot of enemies, um, and the progress to the final boss is uh, well, the final boss is pretty much a sequence of these uh, and a boss rush. Um, so it does it does lay it on thick. As I say, I played on auto. Um, I don't know what exactly what that meant. Um, I died a few times. Mostly, I got through, but I did I did get a, a sense of tension and anxiety about it, even though I didn't know. Uh, it, even though I did know, I should say about the the permadeath being a bluff. It it still as as you said, John had that sort of the effect. Just thinking that something might happen, or I might get a worse ending, or something. If if the rot continue to progress added the demons in your head telling you exactly yeah um so yes it i think they could have made it ever yeah just a little more sophisticated overall maybe not necessarily i don't necessarily want more commands or controls just i don't know just a little bit more dynamism whereas it It does get a little bit repetitive in the you know yeah well i suppose it's the fighting demons inside our head primarily so yeah bosses uh, involve similar mechanics um a lot of mashing the dodge button for me um to avoid attacks uh, which yeah generally generally successful there what i will say is there there, there weren't there weren't moments where I was getting, you know, like re- repeatedly knocked down, stun locked kind of situations or or anything like that. And, and the dodge was largely reliable. What I will say about the bosses is that I thought visually they were pretty tremendous um, with Val Raven particularly sticking in my mind quite 
you know, traditional imagery that we've seen before, the sort of crow, you know, corvid-like uh, humanoid figure with, with feathers. But I just thought it was, you know, the, the way they put it together, the movement of it and the, the animation made, made him particularly uh yeah actually quite frightening which which i enjoyed and and the um yeah the big beast the 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 hog-like one just yeah just you know again quite traditional imagery um for obvious reasons because that imagery has persisted with us um because it's yeah because it's (laughs) it reminds us of death and things like that but but yeah just well animated and drawn enough to the yeah to the point that so i actually found it you know a bit um a bit intimidating and a bit scary in a, in a, in a nice way. I think that that would be the one thing that I would miss if the combat were to just be mm. taken out of the game entirely. I did like, I, I did like the boss encounters mm. just not so much for the fights themselves, but for the, the design and mm, for right. uh, just kind of, that was the part that felt like it, it was not just kind of an add in that, that felt like it should be there to me. Mm. I'd agree with that. I would like to see a couple more unique boss fights. Um, instead of combat arenas with the same hmm. what is it like six or seven different enemy models if that yeah not something many. like that mm. yeah whereas there's only three bosses four bosses mm. Around. and they repeat them later on so yeah it's, it would have been nice to see more unique combat encounters mm. And yeah, so the other element of video gaminess, although, as we say, perhaps you could have, if, if they had gone down the non-combat route for this game, um, it could still have potentially had uh, puzzles of this nature because these are not something that you would say would have no place in a walking simulator type game um, because they are, they're not block puzzles. They're not about, uh, you know, manipulating the environment as such as they are looking at the environment. I mean, there's a certain amount of finding your way around and unlocking doors but generally it's about observation i would say um finding runes in the environment to open doors uh to give you an example there might be a a strut of uh wood sticking out of the water uh, and actually when you look at it you notice that the the reflection in the water completes the rune that you want to to make or you might need to light a torch to cast a shadow um and lock these uh, stand in just the right place so that you can see the shadow that resembles the rune. There's also these uh, shattered sort of images where, again, it's about standing and looking in the right place to uh, so that you can see the image of a bridge and then and piece it back together. Um, I thought these were... I've definitely seen things like this in games before. I'm actually struggling to think of good concrete examples, but both of these kinds of puzzles have definitely been used elsewhere. Um, I think maybe there was a little too much of the rune hunting um i think maybe they they did all the interesting ones and then did some more um but again yeah i thought it was fine but if anything i think the game wants you to solve it too much with lo- the, the visual clues are very heavy-handed and i know this is modern games design people don't like getting stuck people don't like getting frustrated but actually the thought of finding these runes in the environment without having effectively been told where they are or where they're going to be by lots of you know flashing red runes in the air and vibration on your controller like it's all just really desperate for you to find out the and not get stuck it's that yeah modern game design issue i think um but having said that if i'd got stuck i probably would have been really annoyed so i'm part of the problem and there's you know, there's a lot of talk in the um in the feature about the way that the uh, pattern recognition and things tie into yeah people who have delusions seeing things like that and it's 
it's one thing that although I haven't had any specific um, psychotic episodes, I can say is also uh, I don't know if you want to cut this out if this is appropriate conversation, but it also uh, very much is something that happens when you take various narcotics, mm. and that yeah. is definitely something that I very heavily experienced seeing weird patterns and lights and shapes. Totally. And well, I was thinking about that even as a as a non recreational drug user. Um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of this, and and it did actually make me think as somebody who has had uh, episodes of poor mental health and how um, sometimes people have you know, assumed that I'm somebody who takes hallucinogenic drugs and things. I think it's about having altered perception, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's people who uh, are experiencing uh, or their brains, their eyes and brains are interpreting the world in a way that is not, quotes normal. So it makes perfect sense to me that somebody who is suffering from uh, visions or delusions or, or whatever would might, might have, there might be definitely some crossover with the effects of LSD or something like that. If we were talking just video games, did was was the actual act of solving these puzzles an enjoyable one? I suppose is the key. I thought it was okay. I think I think I'm kind of with the puzzles where it sounds like most of you are with the combat. Like I I did not mind them. I thought they were fine. I actually liked the. Um, I think maybe I just wanted this game to hold my hand a little bit more than you did, Leon, because I actually sounds liked like the it. part. Yeah, you're I, smart. And I, I, What's going on? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's not what I was in this game for, I think. I, I mean, I've played plenty yeah, of... Crucial, uh, I, I, I enjoy puzzle games a great deal. I, you know, I, I love things like Portal. Um, I just wrote a review of the Spectrum Retreat, which has a lot of similar things. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it just... I. I, I like that if that's what I'm there for, but here gotcha. I, I didn't want to struggle with that. I was I was in it more for the story and for the experience mm. of seeing you know what what was going on with uh, with Senua. I think than than I was for anything else. I, I actually think I would have been okay. I think that there is a version of this game that I would have liked quite a bit that didn't have the puzzles or the combat. That was just her experience and her her journey. Yeah. It, it could have so easily been an option in the game as well. You know, it I could mean, have been. a lot I of mean, games I, are pretty much doing that now. I, I'm not saying that it that it is the ideal version, but I think that for a certain subset of people, that probably includes me, it would have been a really good one. It's, it's interesting then because you come back to the you know what is a game, and you know we're back to the conversations we have plenty of times about um, you know walking simulators that don't have either of those two, you know, both combat or puzzle solving. It's about just the environment and and you know piecing together elements of that environment. I mean, it's a it's something we got used to now. I, I'm just not sure that this is that game. I think there there's a lot of story to be told directionally to the player, and if if it's you know if it is about just moving through the environments, you know, in a you know a pretty then chaotic state. And a story being told, I'm I'm not sure what the game is at that point, um, other than you know just a cinematic experience of which you know we have cinema interactive fiction in the way that yeah. Um, but I mean, that, I would say with the puzzles, I think to me they just started to outstay their welcome. I liked them at the start, and but by the end, where I think I won this one particular arena where I think there's a river and you have to go through a certain order of kind of unlocking through certain doors and magic then gates, yeah. magic gates Illusion and then gates. there'll be one yeah. that opened from the other side of the river which I hadn't actually clocked onto and then I'd find myself walking around the environment half a dozen times and then eventually working at oh I didn't look at that kind of one angle pixel even though I've stood by that gate half a dozen times 
I just mm. found myself kind of almost seeing them as this this point of um, the story where I found myself coming not necessarily to a grinding halt, but kind of like oh, I've lost momentum here. But I never felt that with the combat because maybe mm. I just got better at it. I, mm. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, it is it is interesting to see this you know the discussion around this game of you know would one element suit and one element be taken away. Um, I mean, ultimately, the game is what the game is. Um, and I don't. I think the the honest truth of it. I don't think either the puzzle element or the combat excels in any way. So where I think the storytelling does, and I think that's probably what highlights both those elements a bit more than maybe would normally happen. I think it's fairly clear where Antionades and the team's mm. uh, emphasis lay. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I, I can't imagine that any anyone who played this game or any critic would say that the yeah it was actually the video game parts of this video game that were the best parts of this video game <laughs> but that, <laughs> so. to 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 rescind maybe a, a, a statement i just made is that you know actually you know the difference between this and cinema if you took away both the puzzle elements and um yeah the the combat elements i think living feeling like you're living through something and interacting with it even to a small degree rather than just seeing it passively i think there is a huge amount of um, to be taken away from that 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 gameplay experience, even without yeah, the gameplay. So, for sure. you know, yeah. yeah, we've covered everybody's gone to the Rapture and other other such titles on mm-hmm. here. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that again, maybe it would have added some to development because they would have had to sort of rework sections based on this. Well, they did it in Simon, didn't they? It wouldn't be a simple, um, a completely simple thing. But the idea of you have an option which is, you know, uh, no combat or puzzles just puzzles no combat or both is definitely a way that this game could work i think um and it would make it more accessible for more different people as well um so yeah something for the future perhaps um just on the subject of the sort of the in-game storytelling perhaps one of the more traditional uh things that well now traditional things that this game contains that would also work within the context of a quotes walking simulator is the rune collecting these are boards or posts or uh, environmental markers where you look at them by holding down the right trigger uh, focus and Druth will tell you some backstory explain about the relationship between uh, the Northmen and uh, the world in which Senoa lives, um, as I mentioned earlier, there are there is actually the the one achievement that you won't get just by playing the game. I think is this one. Um, you can miss some. They are they tend to be some of them are on on the beaten path. Some of them are, are slightly hidden away. Um, which um, it yeah, I mean this just took me because I played God of War first. This just took me back to the the talking of decapitated heads on your belt. Uh, this took me back to the the fellow who you, <laughs> whose head you attached to your belt in God of War and tells you about the history of of Norse mythology in that game, albeit in a Scottish accent as opposed to an Irish one. Um, so yeah, that was that was slightly odd in that regard. Um, I don't what what I wanted to say though from a, from a gamer's point of view is that the um, well, firstly, I thought this may be the sort of game where they should have held back the trophies or achievements unlocking until after the experience because it really did jar for me. 
like in the middle of these incredibly overwrought emotional psychotic episodes you're going bling you've achieved something well done um that seemed weird uh and also that i couldn't see uh, on my completed game that there was a chapter select or anything like that to go back in and just hoover up the runes you know just to to get the platinum trophy i think you'd have to play all the way through it unless i've missed something yeah there's no chapter select yeah. i think it's it's probably quite deliberate um mm a design choice to force you to play the game because i think i missed you know, like two or three rooms thing. but i don't particularly want to play all the way through the game again just to to ping that trophy in fact i won't uh i thought it was actually a bit um you know a bit of a negative aspect that they put the the um collectibles are they're called the law yeah. law statues or something like mm. that and they tell you the they tell you stories from Norse mythology and it's quite easy to go through and you know there'll be six in whichever chapter and they'll they tell a a, a Norse a sequential uh, myth storyline yeah, 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 yeah. which is uh, quite often actually playing into what's going on in the in the game at the same time like the chapter where you go through and eventually come to the tree they're telling a story of the sword that was used was forged to kill the gods yeah. and the the backstory behind that and then at the end of that area there is the tree which happens to have that sword in it so it kind of ties in but it would be quite easy to miss you know say the third and the sixth one of those yeah, yeah. story points along the way and then it kind of doesn't make any sense mm. you know they put some of them smack bang in the middle of the critical path where you can't miss them yeah. but then you know maybe 10 or 15 percent of them throughout the game yep. are, are hidden around corners yeah. and uh, you've got to do things in specific orders or they can get missed. So mm. that felt a bit of a strange decision to make what f seemed like it was quite a critical point of the game uh, potentially missable. I hadn't actually made the connection between this and God of War, which I also played earlier this mm. year. That's that's funny That could, because that really is very similar yeah. in, in a lot of ways. But I'm sure, because uh, God of War would have been also in development for a long time. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm, no, I'm, sure I'm not pure, saying that they... No, no, just interesting, yeah. isn't it, how that stuff like that happens? Even though, obviously, the uh, the severed heads around belts uh, serve very different purposes um, in the game. Uh, Simon Sloth says, uh, In preparation for playing this game, I played the entire Ninja Theory back catalogue, as I had such fond memories of them and high expectations for this. I don't want to tread old ground, but you can see the building blocks of Hellblade in their previous work. Narrative has always been a big focus throughout all of their games and with a focus on actor performance in particular. Hellblade is ju uh, not just a hop, skip and a jump, but an astronomical leap forward in narrative and performance. The story is excellent. It's as if it was focus grouped for me specifically. I didn't find the combat boring. I found it visceral, exciting and nail biting. I realise now that I barely lost a fight, but those moments when you are close to death, when the action becomes sluggish and hazy, I genuinely felt incredibly tense. I don't expect every game to cater for me, but an excellent, well-deserved narrative with visceral gameplay mechanics will always win me over, and this game did everything I wanted and more. Often in games we shoot because we have to, or we fight because that's what we need to do to progress. In this game, I fought with every ounce of my being, not for me, but for Senua. Every hit we took was like a shot of adrenaline heightening my reflexes in the experience. Every victory was ours. It sounds strange, but I didn't feel like I was pressing buttons, but that I was there fighting alongside. Perhaps we don't give enough credit to rumble technology, but I felt every impact because of it. 
I disagree that the game loses focus later on. I actually feel the opposite from that from the sea of corpses onwards, the game continues on a crescendo right towards the perfect denouement. I don't think I've shed a tear in a game for a long time, but I did at the end. I felt exhausted. Ninja Theory, bravo. Hellblade has propelled itself into my top three games of all time. There you go. Thank you, Simon Sloth. Probably the most uh, high high praise that we received. Uh, as always, we have some three-word reviews. Follow us on Twitter at Caden Rince, and uh, these cover the gamut, really. Starting with uh, John. Uh, Black 39 says, style over substance. Immorton Yord says, pretty repetitive combat. SMW says, death by puzzles. Mike Bamford says, negative reinforcement simulator. A hand duo says, a Viking saga. Gary Brown says, please don't go. Rusty Steelpipe says, fear of darkness. Ben Monroe says, incredible sound design. Samtick, Samtick. Mm-hmm. It says, must wear headphones. Mark Hoagland says, still hearing voices. Harry Sneesby says, voices, shut up. Rocket James says, who needs publishers? And Sean Hendricks says, beautiful, disturbing journey. Thank you, one and all. And we had just uh, one late entry for our uh, from our forum, I should say. Telepri says, while I enjoyed the story and gameplay overall, I didn't connect with it to the degree that others have, so I won't go into those aspects. Instead, what excites me most about Hellblade is the potential that it shows within this medium and what we can hopefully see more of going forward. Hellblade felt like a AAA walking simulator, and I mean that in the most loving way. It puts everything it has into its narrative and world, and then still has enough left over to craft great gameplay. Gameplay that doesn't detract from, but rather builds onto an excellent story. I hope we get more similar works in future, whether it's a racing game that consists of only one race, but is an exhilarating several hour experience. Or an FPS, in which over the course of a six hour mission, you only ever draw your gun once, and not even at the end. I want more games that don't let the traditional give and take of story and gameplay put them into the same box that we've played dozens of times before. And Hellblade gives me hope for that. I like that. Um, now I'm going to do something I've never done before on Cane and Rinse, which is to ask the panel the order in which they think they should go, bearing in mind that we try to start with the most negative and work our way up. I think it's, it's a really tough call. Who thinks they're the most negative about the game? I don't think it's me. I would have said it probably was Lee. <laughs> oh, really? Well, okay, yeah, I was the only one who didn't like the combat, so maybe it is me. I don't think anybody's going to... I mean, I, I can go first. Okay. I, I, no don't, I don't think that... Yeah, I don't think that anybody is is especially negative on this game. Um, I, in fact, I think that uh, most of us are pretty positive, and I will uh, start off by saying that although I did not care for some aspects of the gameplay... Most notably, the uh, the actual combat. Um, I still felt very strongly about uh, about the experience that I had with Hellblade. I, I think that it's fascinating to see how uh, a large studio who has a lot of talent and uh, and you know obviously had money behind them at the time can, with care and with with intention to get things right and to do right by their subject matter, uh, I, I think that it's fascinating to see how that comes out. And in this case, I I 
would unhesitatingly recommend Hellblade to pretty much anyone. Uh, I would say that if you have any reservations about uh, maybe the combat or anything, um, you can change the difficulty level mid-game. So if you think that you might want to start off with easy then and just kind of see where it goes, you can do that. If it's too easy, you can move it up. Um, I, I don't let the... Um, the kind of aspects that might not be strictly in that might not be strictly um, into the story uh, or a part of the story. Uh, don't let those kind of dissuade you. It, you might not like everything about it. I, I didn't like everything about it, but I very much enjoyed Hellblade as a whole. Um, and I, I appreciate what it's doing. I appreciate that it is tackling a subject that has not always gotten the best treatment and I I would like to see more of this type of exploration in a way that makes it to more people uh, there there are great games out there um, many of them indie games many of them from things like game jams or you know just independent developers who might not get this kind of audience but if you do play Hellblade and you do like this then you know you could seek some of those out um, we, we kind of mentioned the actual sunlight um, recording that we did uh, earlier this year and that's that's a great place to start there are, there are plenty of things out there that you can also look up but um, this Hellblade really I enjoyed what I did with it and I enjoyed enjoyed is such a weird word in this case because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of really disturbing content in here, but I, I would, I would recommend it. Let me, uh, let me just uh, put it that way. Yeah. I think I go next uh, again, not an unqualified recommendation from me, uh, a recommendation uh, to a certain kind of uh, video games player and the kind of person who is uh, perhaps less motivated by uh, traditional facets of gameplay um i think you know a lot of people have uh been critical of certain aspects of the actual moment to moment in this game um there is uh, there is a yeah i would say there is a lack of traditional uh ludological gaming in hellblade and what there is is uh, by modern standards quite perfunctory um but if you are open to the idea of games not being pure fun the idea of games being challenging and uh sometimes hard yeah actually hard work um emotionally um it's certainly recommended to those who appreciate uh just sort of uh, current gen era tech um there's a lot to enjoy in in an audio audio visual sense um and yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I'm neither a uh, sort of uh, student of Norse mythology, although I feel like I am this year, having played uh, two video games that skirt around the subject. Um, I've learned a bit, um, nor am I a sufferer of so psychosis, um, but I do you know, have a close relationship with general concerns of mental health. And um, on that aspect, I, I'm glad that, you know, the games like this are being made and exist and i think are very worthwhile and i think what ninja theory did with the with the money to uh charity was uh, was really nice gesture they didn't have to do that um and uh yeah I, I, my my overriding uh and abiding memories of hellblade will be of uh melina jürgen's terrified face i think mostly that's just you know her eyes 
sort of boring into my soul and just feeling that strength of empathy for that character but actually you know the fact that it's um it's really an acting performance a a a, a captured performance that will stay with me long after the interactive elements of this game maybe those maybe that performance is heightened because of the fact that it was an interactive game in that it wasn't just a film but um i think it would have been a powerful performance powerful performance even if i even if i was just to have watched someone someone else play through this or if it had been made as a as a non-interactive piece of uh, of fiction um yeah so it's kind of it's a weird one in that ultimately the game part is the bit that was it was fine I, i've got no major major qualms but it didn't inspire me in the way that I hoped it might, but the overall experience was absolutely worthwhile. Tony? Yeah, I I think for me, this game rests on Melina Jurgen's um, performance. I mean, it, it's obviously there, you know, the story written around her performance is absolutely critical for, for getting that performance out of her. But it's it, like you say, it's the thing that will stick with me long after um, any of the puzzle elements, which I kind of remember back in frustration and any of the combat elements, which I kind of remember just back in like, yeah, they were perfunctory. Um, her performance is incredible. Um, and I think, you know, no, no less for the, the fantastic work done on the mo- both the motion capture and the writing, the script that was, it was given to her to perform from. Um, and that's, you know, quite often that is the opposite of what we think about games. It's quite often about the combat or it's quite often about the puzzle solving and less about the, the story being told. Um, so yeah, there, there's another place where this game could be something different that combines all three of those elements. But I, you know, for the game, what Hellblade is, it rests on that performance and that story. And I think those are absolutely, you know, top class in their field. Um, and for that, it should just be applauded all by itself. Um, beyond that, um, you know, it's a really visually striking game. So I think if you're just interested in in playing a game that is you know, slightly off center and different from the rest, I think there's times where this game can be incredibly beautiful. But it also, and I think this is really important, it doesn't fall down in that kind of Dante's Inferno route of making hell really. Oh, isn't it disgusting? I was thinking of a game recently came out called Agony, where it's kind of like it just depicts hell as this terrible thing. And and of course, you know, if hell does exist, it probably is that terrible thing. But this is more about the internal and that to me is far more fascinating um, aspect of what the game deals with so for me yeah it's it's an interesting game but equally i think the the thing that really stands out is the performance and the writing and the word the place that it's set well said tony and uh, let's conclude with john well the nice thing about going last when everybody else has been so positive is that uh I don't really have to say very much for fear of retreading at all. So um, I, I pretty much agree with uh, all of the positives, all the praise that um, that everybody else has, has uh, ladled over here. Um, I think the um, the acting is incredibly is incredibly well done. Uh, Ninja Theory seemed to have knocked the knocked it out of the park in terms of creating something that's on one hand kind of skirting around where your traditional um traditional style video game is which absolutely won't appeal to everybody because i I mean i'm sure we all do i know lots of people who'd sort of turn their nose up and say no i just you know give me a gun i want to shoot uh, bad guys and you know run around like an idiot and i'm i'm all for things that push they uh, push the envelope and especially in a situation like this where they're treading 
so comfortably into the mental health um, issues. Uh, it, it seems to have come from, uh, you know, a real, real place of wanting to do good and wanting to expose flaws in the way that we as a society look at things and do things. Uh, you know, I think there's there's got to be a lot of credit given for, for something like that. And on the other hand, I came into this uh, not really knowing what to expect in terms of, you know, how I would respond to to the the uh, depictions of psychosis because I look at it and think, well, I'm I'm fairly sure that I don't suffer from anything like this. And then I started playing it and was immediately reminded of, oh yeah, I have these these weird sort of odd little auditory and visual hallucinations while I'm asleep, and this whole slew of, you know, flashbacks to taking hallucinogenic drugs years ago like it was just this sudden reminder of or maybe maybe i have got more like more um, connection Mm. with with these things than i was expecting and it's probably something that that i'll continue to have like i don't think this this weird dream thing is ever going to go away and i don't think i'll ever forget you know what it was like to you know to take drugs and sort of trip on things and it was it was very interesting to be reminded years and years later of of this thing um and i i said much earlier in the show i played this on the playstation and i uh, i'd love to play it again on the xbox one x with my nice oled tv and you know I, i'm absolutely at some point down the line going to going to buy it again and i think that's a you know pretty high recommendation to say that you'll end up going and spending probably full price on the game again nice excellently said everybody i think so it remains for me leon to thank john leah and tony and to all of you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast and appreciate the time effort and work that's gone into making it including the uh, editing thank you sean uh, please subscribe rate review wherever you can or best of all drop us a dollar a month patreon.com slash you get every new show a week earlier and often unabridged slightly longer director's cut type of thing and you get an exclusive monthly cast with jay and i as well Next time, in issue 339, pack your knackered revolver and your malaria pills. We're all off to war-torn Central Africa for Far Cry 2. <laughs>